The following sermon was delivered to Christ Central Church in order to further our knowledge and adoration of who God is. We pray that it displays the hope found in Christ and strengthens your faith in Him. You have a copy of God's Word with you this morning. Would you join me in Hebrews chapter 1? Hebrews chapter 1. This morning we're going to pick up where we left off in verse 3. However, we will not finish verse 3 this morning. Um, but I, I promise next week we will get through verse 3 and then um, probably a number of verses after it. So I know this is, I think, our, our fifth week in the book of Hebrews and we're, we're not yet out of the first three verses. Um, but things will pick up quickly here for the rest of chapter 1 and then we'll probably um, slow back down again. There really um, is, I, I don't think, anywhere else in Scripture that is as rich in uh, Christology, who Jesus is, as, as Hebrews chapter 1. Maybe Colossians chapter 1, um, but Hebrews chapter 1 is, is pretty rich, and that's why it's taken us a little bit of time to, to work through these verses um, together. The writer of Hebrews offers for us uh, seven excellencies of Christ. Remember, uh, sort of the, the context of the entire book. It's, it's written to Jewish believers, to Hebrew people. That's why it's the letter to the Hebrews, to, to Hebrew people who have, have put their faith in Jesus, probably some who maybe have not yet put their faith in Jesus, but this is uh, a means, hopefully, of their hearing the gospel and being born again. After all, He did come to give us second birth. And for those who have... Um, turn to Him to, to see and to know that Jesus is better, that He is better than um, anything else, that He's better than any um, set of rules or regulations or religion. Um, he's, he is better than um, any system of belief. He's better than the law. And so why would we fall back again into what we once were um, freed from? Why would we go back into darkness when we have seen His marvelous light? And so God, God is inspiring this writer, whoever it is, to offer us seven excellencies of Jesus. And so we, we continue to work through those this morning, this morning. He is the heir of all things. He is the creator of all things. He is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact imprint of His nature. Those first four excellencies are what we've worked through so far. And they could sort of be characterized as who Jesus is. Who He is. By His nature, who He is. The heir of all things. The creator of all things. The radiance of the glory of God. The exact imprint of His nature. And then there's a shift in the, in the last three. And they don't so much focus on who Jesus is by His nature, but instead what Jesus does. What He does. And then the, the author offers us these three. He upholds the universe by the word of His power. We'll talk about that this morning. That He has made purifications for sin. We'll talk about that this morning. And that He sits at the right hand of the majesty of on high. We'll talk about a little of that 
this morning. The writer writes, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. And after making purifications for sins, He sat down. That's what we're in this morning, picking up next week at the right hand of the majesty on high. Seven excellencies, who he is and what he does. You know, that really sort of flows with the the natural way we engage with someone when we meet them, right? When we meet someone for the first time, we usually have two introductory questions. Who are you? What's your name? Who are you? The question of who you are, which is usually then followed by, well, what do you do? What do you do? I love those questions, especially after they come from um, maybe a little bit of time where someone has been around me. Say, what is it that you do? I'm a pastor. That usually ends the conversation um, with most people, but that's sort of the natural flow for when we meet someone. And the same is it's true with Jesus. If you want to know who Jesus is, then these verses tell us. They tell us who He is, and they tell us what He has done. I, I couldn't help but, but sit and think and imagine what it would really be like to interact with Jesus and ask Him these two words. It's very, these two questions. It's very nice to meet you, sir. Um, what's your name? Well, me? My, well, my name is, is Son. I'm the Son. I'm the heir. I'm creator. I'm God. And if that wasn't enough to sort of kind of take us back a notch, well, okay, uh, Son, creator, heir. God, uh, what do you do? Uh, oh, me? I, I just, I uphold everything. That's what I do. I just uphold everything. I, I'm, I'm sorry, you uphold everything? Yeah, that's right. I, I uphold everything. Well, how exactly is it that you uphold everything? You must be awfully strong then. No, I just, I do it by saying so. This is Jesus. This is who He is. This is what He does. He upholds the universe by the word of His power. He upholds the universe by the words, by the word of His power. Look at how the writer of Hebrews describes Jesus' relationship to creation. They make it clear He made all things. He is the creator. He made all things. And he will someday inherit all things. Remember, that is the the beginning and the end. Jesus is the alpha and the omega. But his engagement in creation isn't one that just began in creation and then sort of picks up again in the, the end of time. 
No, Jesus created all things and He will receive all things. And in the in between, He is holding all things together. Jesus is active in His creation from the beginning throughout all of the ages and forevermore. The language here is um, really striking to me. It's striking to me. It says of Jesus that He upholds. Upholds. This word here is written in the present tense and it carries with it an understanding of continual action. That Jesus is at all times upholding all things. Now this word all things is a little nuanced. It, it literally means all things. It means everything. That right now, at this very minute, everything in existence is being maintained, is being supported, and is being held together by Jesus Christ Himself. Now, I really don't know how we could even begin to comprehend what exactly that means. And I thought about all things. You see, my my understanding is very limited because I, I only can understand the things that I interact with, right? The things that I see, the things that I touch, the things that I feel. But there is so much more that is in all things than just what we see, what we engage with, what we feel. Um, It's sort of interesting. The best estimate that scientists can give, and our our understanding is is continually um, growing as to the nature of um, the universe. But to the the best estimate, and I don't, quite frankly, I don't even know how they get there, is that there are two trillion galaxies in the universe. Two trillion galaxies, of which we are only one. And as we stop and we think about the vastness of just our world, and then expand that out to nine Planets, because Pluto is a planet. I don't care what they say. I was taught Pluto's a planet. To nine planets and a sun and our moon and then moons orbiting other planets. I mean, just the sheer mass of our galaxy. And there are two estimates of two trillion other galaxies. Our minds can't even begin to comprehend the the scale of what everything is. And and we're just we're we're thinking right now on the on the um, big level. We don't even just think for a second at the microscopic level of all the things in our world that we exist uh, with every day that we don't even know that they're there. That there are, there's, there's a whole world microscopically that we never even see. There are 
untold number of viruses, and our children catch most of them this time of year. Bacteria, and protozoa, an unbelievable amount of microscopic, infinitesimal, on an atomic level, cells and atoms all being held together in this very moment by Jesus Christ, our Lord. You know, there are, there are processes in our bodies that we have no control over. Automatic processes that we don't even, we don't, we, we don't even give thought to that we can't make happen. You can't make your heart just beat. You don't even think about breathing. It just happens. You don't tell your spleen, spleen, do whatever it is that you do. You're, they, you're, they just work. Your kidneys just work. Why? Because they're being upheld by Jesus Christ, our Lord. All of this is happening because Jesus Christ, in His sovereign power, has ordained it and is in this very moment upholding them. He upholds all things. Now this isn't just some arbitrary upholding. This isn't Jesus just keeping things going, sort of a, a, a juggler keeping everything moving just to see where these things might end up. No, this is Jesus working out all things from the greatest heavenly bodies to the most infinitesimal atoms towards God's specific ends. That's what it means for Jesus to uphold all things. And how is it that the Scriptures tell us He is doing this? Has He developed some huge apparatus or machine to keep it all going? Nope. Is He using all His might? Nope. He just says it, and it happens. He just gives the word. He just makes the command, and it happens. The writer of the Hebrews says, by the power, by the word of His power. This is a strange arrangement to me. By the word of His, his power. It feels to me like it should be by the power of His word. Right? That His Word is powerful. But it's not. It's by the Word of His power because Jesus Himself by His nature is power. He is power. And so when He speaks, He speaks with power because He is power. This, this word here for word, His Word is, is not the, the word for word that we most usually think of. Probably when we think of Jesus' Word. We probably most usually think of his logos. His in the beginning was the word, but that's not this word for word. This is rima. It is spoken word. Just literally means his spoken words that Jesus has spoken, and so it 
is. And he is so powerful by his very nature that all he has to do is speak it and it happens. And everything, two trillion galaxies and everything in them are upheld by the word of his power. How sovereign is he? How powerful is he? In church, the reality of that should this morning settle our hearts, shouldn't it? Because if he is so powerful as to do all of that with just a word, then how confident we can be in his work in us. Right? If God can do all of those things, if he can uphold all of that simply by the word of his power, how confident can we be of his work in us? It's Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, that he who began it is the one who spoke it all into existence, who is the one who right now is upholding it simply by his word, and to the one which all things will go, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. What confidence we can have. Jude 24 and 25, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore. Amen. Christmas morning is is certainly a, a morning of joy, but I know the realities of life are still real for many of us. And the concerns of life are still heavy on many of us. But take heart, child of God. He upholds everything. He has you. He has you. And we can have sure confidence in this because He has made purifications for sin. He's made purification for sin after making purification for sin. You know, there's, there's been a, an Old Testament theme that the writer of Hebrews has um, been following here. And uh, my, my plans were, as we finished up these verses, to go back and preach it a sermon sort of summarizing them within this theme. But I, I do want to finish Hebrews before all my hair falls out. So I'll go ahead and tell you that there's a, a theme here of Jesus being prophet, king, and priest. Jesus being prophet, king, and, and priest. These are all Old Testament uh, offices. The writer of Hebrews is showing that Jesus is the better prophet, that Jesus is the better king, and that Jesus is the better priest. Jesus is the better prophet because long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets. But in these last days, He's spoken to us by Son. 
thy son. And Jesus is the better prophet. He's the better revelation of God. That He's the better king. That He's the better king. This, this idea of Him being um, heir and creator and the radiance of the glory of God. These are all kingly images. That Jesus is the greater king. And then here, Jesus is the greater priest. This is his priestly role. That he has made purification for sins. See, when a a Hebrew would have heard this, they would have had a deep understanding of the Old Testament sacrificial system. They they would have understood the, the weight of what the writer is saying here. That Jesus has made purification for sin. See, this is rooted in one main thought that a Hebrew would have known. And that is that there must be a payment made for our sin. There has to be. The Scriptures tell us, for the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. There is, before a holy God who is perfectly sinless, that there is a separation that happens between sinful man and holy God. And so in the Old Testament, God gave to His people a way for them to come before Him. And that was through a a system of sacrifices. God laid that system of sacrifices out for them. You can go, you can read them. Leviticus chapter 4, Leviticus chapter 16. There would have to be a death that takes place. That blood would have to be shed. That there is a shedding of blood necessary for the remission of sin. And so God instituted a a substitute to be in the place of the people. And He ordained the the priestly role. Uh, You can read it in um, especially Leviticus chapter 16 as God lays out what it is that Aaron is to do. That a priest is to come before God into the Holy of Holies to offer before God a sacrifice on behalf of the people. But before he ever does that, he has to offer a sacrifice of his own sins and the sins of his house. So a priest priest would would slaughter an animal for his own sins before a holy God so that there would be payment for his sins and the sins of his house. And then he would come before God to make another sin offering, a blood offering, a death that is substitutionary in nature in place of the people for the sins of the people for Israel. This is the priestly duty. The people of God would have a priest that would do this. But that whole system was never enough. It was never enough. And we know it was never enough because it had to be offered continually. Over and over and over and over and over again. To come before a holy God and to offer a sacrifice, a payment 
for the penalty of our sin. And what the writer of Hebrews is telling us is that Jesus came. And He came not just as a prophet. He came not just as a better king. But He came as a better priest. To make a once and for all sacrifice for sin. He made purification, the writer says. He made purification. This word purification is a purging or a cleansing. It's an act that takes away all together. Jesus offers the only once and for all payment for sin because He is the better priest. There's four aspects to this purification that He's made. The first is that it was a personal purification. It was personal to Him. He made it by Himself. There was no intermediary. There was was no animal offered. The priest himself gave his life. No other priest had ever done that. But Jesus, the better priest, gave of himself. It was also purifying in nature. His sacrifice took away the sin altogether. It didn't cover it over for a little while until another offering could be made, until another offering could be made, until another offering could be made. No, His sacrifice was purifying in that it took away once and for all the penalty of any sin and every sin ever committed. It was purifying. It was personal. It was purifying. And it was past. For us, it was past. Look at the language here. He made purification. This happened in the past. This is not happening right now. There is no need for it to happen right now. The penalty of sin has been covered. The offering has been given. The sacrifice has been made. It is finished, he said. There's no need for ongoing sacrifices. It's been made. And then lastly, it is permanent. It, His sacrifice, can cleanse you permanently. Church, this is why Jesus was born. This is why we gather this Christmas morning to remember His birth He was born to die. This is why He came. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. She will bear a son and you shall call His name Jesus, for He will save His people from their sins as the better priest. 1 Timothy 1, 15, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. This is His purpose of coming. Hebrews chapter 10, can't wait to get there. Verse 5 through 10, consequently, when Christ came into the world, He said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, 
but a body you have prepared for me. These sacrifices, these offerings, were not enough to appease the wrath of God. They were not what God had desired. No, God had desired a a son to come in flesh and to take away the penalty of sin, a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and in sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. And when he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. Jesus did away with an Old Testament sacrificial system so that he could establish the second, which is a once and for all permanent sacrifice to pay for sin. And by that, we have been sacrificed through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. That passage of Scripture gives us a remarkable look into the heart of the Savior before His birth. He knew He was entering the world to be the final and ultimate sacrifice for sin. His body had been divinely prepared by God for that very purpose. Jesus was going to die for the sins of the world and He knew it before He ever came. Moreover, He did it willingly. That's the whole point of the incarnation. Christ came willingly to die. The important issue of Christmas is not so much that Jesus came, but why He came. There is no salvation in His birth. There is no redemptive force in only His sinless life. His example, as flawless as it was, could not rescue men from their sin. His teaching, as He is Himself the truth, could not save us. There had to be a price paid for sin. Someone has to die. And only Jesus... Only God could offer a once and for all sacrifice in our place. He is the better priest. Because the offering of sin that He gave was greater than any that an earthly priest ever offered. His work is complete. And so He did what no Old Testament priest could ever do. He sat down. He sat down. And after making purifications for sins, He sat down. Church, it is finished. The work of the priest is done. The sacrifice has been made. 
There was never a rest for an Old Testament priest because the job was never finished because the power of sin remained. The wages were still due. Hebrews chapter 10, the first four verses. For since the law was but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Since the worshipers, having once been cleaned, cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And Jesus came. Not to offer over and over and over and over and over again a payment for sin, but to make purification once and for all. And His redemptive work is finished. He is seated. Later in Hebrews 10, verses 11 through 14, and every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice of sins, He sat down at the right hand of God. He sat down. Waiting for that time until his enemies should be made a footstool of his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Jesus made purification and he sat down. And He offers us, by means of His death, by faith through grace, the opportunity to rest from our works to redeem ourselves. To, by faith in His once and for all sacrifice of sin, to be permanently perfected. And for our strivings to cease. Church, this is what this table is about. This is what these elements represent. It represents the the God of the universe who spoke all things into existence. The one to whom all things will go. The one who is now upholding all things by the word of His power. That this God, the better prophet, the better king, has become the better priest. Because he offered a sacrifice, not of bulls, not of goats, but of himself, of his own body, his very own blood shed for you and for me. To pay the penalty for our sin. This is why He came. There's no Christmas without a Good Friday. 
He came to die. And when we come to the Lord's table, we remember His death for us. We join with Him by faith. And we rejoice once again for the sacrifice that's been made. A substitutionary payment. Atonement for sin. To do what we could never do. To do what no Old Testament priest could never do. To do only what God could do. And that is to take away the penalty of sin. And to offer to us redemption by faith and faith alone. What glorious, glorious good news. Church, I know this morning that there's maybe some questions and maybe some angst in the hearts of your children. And they'll say, Mom, Dad, why can't I have that? Because this table is for those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. This table is for those who have come to Him in humility and declared Him as Lord. We certainly raise our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord and we teach them God's word and we seek to model for them and to show them the gospel. And by God's grace, they will come one day to him in faith. And if they've done that, they've made profession of faith and they've been baptized into the local body of believers, then we welcome them at the Lord's table. But if not, then this is not yet for them. And what it serves for them and for their development and for their discipleship and for their salvation is an opportunity for you, Dad, for you, Mom, to share the gospel once more and to call them to faith. We serve a sort of a a semi-open communion. It's only for believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, but you do not have to be a member of our church. You don't have to be a member of our church. You're welcome to come. If you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you've been baptized into his body, you're welcome to come and to take and to eat. Take and to eat. Let's rejoice together the coming of the Lord who came to take away the sins of the world. I'll pray and you come. And as you're ready, as you make introspection, as the Scriptures teach us, to discern the body, to discern the body, to take in a worthy manner, as you're ready, an opportunity to confess sins, to repent. As you're ready, you take. We don't all take together, but we do all come to the Lord's table together. So I'll pray, and then you're welcome to come. Father, how grateful we are that you came as son to make purification for sins. A once and for all work. A better priest who is seated even now at the right hand of God and who is now making intercession for us. Father, as we come to this table, as we come to your table, 
as we seek to do what you commanded. To take and to eat. To take and to drink. And to remember your sacrifice upon the cross and to proclaim the good news of the gospel until you come again. Would you meet us here in a special way in these moments? Would our faith be strengthened? Would we be reminded that the God we serve, the God we worship, is the God who is now upholding all things, even us? And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Christ Central Church sermon series. To find our gathering location and more sermons, visit ChristCentralChurch.net.